That's what I love teaching. I teach a bunch of people how to become self-healers, that they're not broken, that they're working exactly as designed when they've been faced with the adversities without the tools to be able to manage their emotions and self-regulate. And so through co-regulation with a group of people who are up to the same conversation, you then rise to be able to self-regulate. And then you then become a contribution to the co-regulation too. Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I have the pleasure of having Dr. Nima Ramani. He is a chiropractor and an educator specializing in helping individuals and professionals get to the root cause of their physical and emotional challenges from stressed, depressed, and anxious to living powerfully aligned and on purpose. After building a successful chiropractic practice in Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Dr. Nima sold his clinic in June 2016 to pursue his passion of teaching and coaching professionals who are stressed, depressed, and anxious to transform and have their best year ever in both a private and corporate setting. Dr. Nima has integrated all the mind-body tools in his quest for healing stress-related disorders into one simple-to-follow method called the Overview Method, which is the Adjustment Above Atlas that he teaches one-on-one and in groups all over the world. Dr. Nima, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I am super-duper glad to be here. Thanks for having me, man. I love reading your bio, any bio that says getting to the root cause. I feel that that's like the best thing to do. And, and people who use that phrase are people that speak my philosophy and speak my language. Yeah, it totally is. It's like I am here I am, chiropractor, helping people with aches and pains, only to realize that these people are holding on to emotional injuries. And unless that gets addressed, you know, some people get better, as you notice in private practice. Some people get better, but there's certain type of individual who just just wouldn't they wouldn't connect, and I and my ego didn't like it, so I had to just keep going upstream, 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 and I realized it all has to do with disconnection from self, disconnection from purpose, and unresolved, un unaddressed. Uh, unprocessed emotions, uh, grief and resentment and guilt, especially, and uh, shame that's like an inability to process shame. So when you teach people those things, uh, all of a sudden their chronic ailments start to fall apart when when they realize it's, it's emotional injuries that are the root cause. That's really interesting. And I kind of figured that out on my own, um, but I wish I had known that when I was was dealing with my patients because I had a population of chronic pain patients. And the acute pain patients were something that were very um, fulfilling because I used to be able to treat those really well. But it's the chronic patients that were really, I feel that that's probably where the issue lied in the sense that I never really got to the root cause of the problem. And they had a lot of trauma and emotional issues that was causing their chronic pain issues. Well, you nailed it. I mean, let's let's say something happens when you're a child and you have this really confusing relationship with your um, uncle, for example, and there was some sexual uh, in, <laughs> sexual abuse going on. The child can't differentiate from behavior to uh, behavior to being bad. 
I, you know, this happened because I deserved it. I, there must be something wrong with me. So it's, it's an experience of shame and shame, toxic shame is really harmful to the body. Uh, any uh, autoimmune problem, any, the body attacking itself, it's physiological. Like we've all experienced what shame feels like and we will do whatever. The body is very wise and it will do whatever it can to block ourselves from feeling that shame. So, um, we start creating all of these illnesses and disorders and adaptations as a protective mechanism to not feel the shame of that earlier event. So now it becomes a chronic neck issue, a chronic um, uh, TMJ, jaw issue, digestive issue. And of course, it's going to go, you know, uh, disorders of the, uh, of the genitals, the private parts, the, the reproductive system. It, it makes sense that all of those systems in, that, in those energy centers are impacted by that shame. And then you'll go to one doctor to another. They'll come into your office or mine. And then we're going to throw all of our magic bag of tricks at it. Everything we've ever learned. And then you get to it and then it's, it doesn't touch it. Mm-hmm. Because what external treatment can be can can solve a problem caused by the burning the exhausting um, experience of carrying unresolved shame so the healing becomes kind of like a journey into the dark night of the soul into feeling feelings that you'd rather not and you'd rather cover up with pills and doctor's appointments and distract yourself with those things but the people who do take the time and go in and face them, feel them and heal them and reconnect with that inner child and heal those attachment wounds and take that guilt and shame and turn it into innocence, uh, your body then responds. And so Mm -hmm. when I found that connection, I couldn't keep it a secret any longer. And I started creating these workshops in my office 10 years ago called Life Skills for a Stressful World. Fast forward to today, Um, that was 11, 12 years ago. Now I lead a global community of self-healers where we share in community those experiences and shame cannot thrive. Shame thrives in the dark and it cannot exist in the light. So we bring it out to light and we heal in a, in a community. And so that's, that's the new conversation that I'm, I'm really all quite jazzed about having. It makes my heart sing. That's so fascinating. And, and I'm also curious is that, you know, you had a little bit of a personal journey on your own that, that basically transitioned you into the work that you're doing now. Can you talk about your personal journey and how you transitioned yeah. over? Well, here I am uh, dealing with anxiety and bullying as a, as a child, being a, the only brown kid in a white neighborhood. And it was tough. And so low self-esteem was the thing for me. And uh, lack of worthiness. And so I always knew I wanted to be a healthcare provider. Um, but I just did this personal development stuff to deal with my own anxiety and insecurity. And I just found magic in it. I found, whoa, the more I, the more I kept peeling back layers of myself, which is the personal growth, um, kind of journey, peeling back these layers, uh, what happens is underneath what we see, um, more layers of truth and authenticity. So in this journey of authenticity of myself, healing my, you know, from divorce, uh, one real toxic relationship after another, I then realized that I was using 
personal development work and my success as a cover-up from feeling feelings. And so after my last relationship uh, kind of blew up in my face a couple years ago, I stopped and I said, all right, I'm going to go inside and I'm going to heal with the younger part of me that chooses a certain pattern of relationships unconsciously. Same person, different haircut, same conversations, same triggers, and it's not the person, it's, it's something in me. So I stopped and I went back and I healed my attachment traumas. And I said, I don't care what it takes. I'm 43 years old. I haven't been able, I've crushed it at work, just haven't figured out this relationship thing. And I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to create the holy grail of human existence, what I feel is, which is to create a secure attached relationship at home. So I went into doing that and I succeeded. I now uh, married and have a baby on the way literally any day now. And oh, now I, I'm, thank you. And now I am uh, passionately teaching um, healing your attachment wounds to create secure relationships. And then what people notice is when you make that your focus rather than trying to chase an illness or pain, that the pain kind of resolves itself. Right. And, so. and the question that I have is it's interesting because we probably have the same type of, of, of patient clientele that comes to our office. And um, my curiosity is, is at what point do you evaluate the patient and you say, okay, the patient's coming to your office that has issues with neck pain or, or low back pain. And w- at what point do you start looking at emotional issues versus mechanical issues? Great question. This was the biggest challenge for um, for me as a, as a chiropractor because as soon as I discovered this, I would go to work and I know um, <laughs> I know that you you know exactly what I'm talking about here. Like what I'm about to share will probably be your story too. So um, I started feeling frustration being in my office. Mm. I did not want to be there. I was like, look, I, I don't want to deal with back pain when this person is clearly not dealing with the issue of unresolved trauma. I want to create that for them. But the thing is, is people reached out to me because of back pain and I could see through that they needed more. So I would first suggest that they come to my weekend workshop. So I started creating these weekend workshops in my office because I didn't talk about their emotional stuff in a chiropractic clinic that wasn't in my scope of practice. That's not really what they came for. I would introduce the conversation and those that were quote unquote, interested would show up. The interesting thing was the ones that were interested and showed up had way better patient outcomes, way better Mm. outcomes with their health issues. And then I then faced another dilemma, which was, okay, so now I don't really feel like working on just the surface level. So I went through my own kind of dark night of the soul and go, what is it that I, who do I want to be for these people? Do I really want to deal with that? So I I actually sold my practice. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I went all in at the age of 40 with traveling around the world and teaching what I just discovered. And I created a methodology that helps heal those attachment traumas. And so then I left, basically left chiropractic and said, I don't want to be a chiropractor anymore. Um, I want to only be a teacher, an educator, and help people heal their attachment wounds. And so now I, I kind of moved out of chiropractic, and then I missed it for a little while. So I kept my license because something I didn't want to let go of. And so now I still work in the clinic, and pe- it, it, like maybe 
three hours a week just because I, I, I like it. Keep your skills have, up, yeah. Keep my skills up. But then I just recently, about a month ago, got a note from the Board of Chiropractors in, in British Columbia saying that the content that I put out doesn't follow the scope of practice. So literally, as you're asking me this question, I am facing now finally hanging up the skates, as they say in Canada, um, <laughs> hanging up the laces, uh, you know, retiring uh, full-time from full-time chiropractic and going all in with the education. So wow. patients come in with specific, uh, you know, aches, aches and pains. But now uh, what happens is people don't come to me for headaches anymore. They come to me because they've been following my uh, work on uh, social media and they're like, I'm ready to, to go all in with this. Mm-hmm. And for people who say who are listening to this podcast and they don't know they have attachment issues, I mean, how can they recognize that that could be a problem and how can they start working on those parts for healing? How can they start to work on them? Well, the short answer is there's two parts to it. There's self-directed stuff, kind of like if you, you, do you follow the holistic psychologist? Yep. Okay, great. She's got this thing called, I highly recommend you follow the holistic psychologist. She's got this thing called the future self journal, where these prompts to, to help guide you into living more consciously. So it, it definitely has self-reflection, meditation, breath work, all of that stuff and it, to help you heal and deal with that forgotten inner child. The problem is a lot of times when really scary things have happened, we have dissociated from our personal selves, that reconnecting with those younger parts are damn near impossible to do alone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I wouldn't, it, it, you know, depending on the situation, I don't know anything about your past, but if you went through a really traumatic time um, with, uh, you know, physical abuse with a father, okay, and there's a deep resentment and he was a tyrant, for you to sit there and go through those scenes and to learn how to regulate yourself in those traumatic scenes, you won't be able to do alone. And I don't recommend you do it. So the stuff we can do alone is all of the stuff that we already know is out there with the journaling and the exercise and the meditation and creating a morning routine and keeping a promise to yourself every day. Because what we're doing is we're unlearning self-abandonment. Those are the things where we actively, you know, create discipline in our lives, keep one promise to yourself, like I'm going to go running today, not just because I want to tighten up my ass. That's just a side effect of it. But the big part of it is I'm keeping a promise to myself, right? And so that is part of the healing. So it's the what you do each and every day and consciously and find a guide. Find a guide who has walked the path, who understands trauma and nervous system regulation and will teach you how to get back into your body. Not just therapy, you know, going week after week, talking about your problems with no real tools. What about the other 23 hours and six days of the week? Mm-hmm. You know? And it's interesting too. I mean, I'm just looking back at some of the patients that I used to see when I was running my, my pain management clinic. And yeah. uh, it, it's, it's, if I really have thought about it, the symptoms and signs were there, except that I looked at it in a different way. Correct. You know, I would see them for the pain that they were enduring and, you know, their blood pressure might be normal. But if I really had an opportunity to look at their heart rate variability, 
I bet you it would have been really, really low. And I bet you, you their, nervous, their nervous system would have been really shot. Of course. Of course. But the thing is, is that your model of what you studied doesn't actually address that. It's very two-dimensional. Whereas we're three-dimensional beings. You're not just a graph. You're not just an X and Y axis. There's a depth to you. There's a Z, a Z axis. There's a depth to you which involves emotion and feeling. But because that's so abstract and subjective, your training doesn't actually involve that because it's, there's, you can't really you know, quantify it <laughs> very well. And it's so subjective and unpredictable. So the medical system doesn't really touch it. So what we're actually here to do uh, is learn how to become better at loving learn how to heal those wounds that had us leaving our bodies because it didn't feel safe. And the whole purpose here is to create safety in the little child, little parts of us that were forgotten. And it can't be, can't just talk their way out of that. You got to actually show those younger parts safety. Mm -hmm. In in my own personal journey of healing, I've, I've had to explore my past trauma, you know, from young childhood, even as little as up to about five, six years ago. And the way I've, expl I've explored is to heal it is through experiential uh, sessions with breathwork and also uh -huh. through psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious as to what your thoughts on those modalities to help to reveal trauma and to process it. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, breath work is very powerful. I highly recommend that that's, that's actually part of my methodology is cool. breath, breath work is your access to your unconscious mind and it's a regular practice. And just had one today as uh, Tuesday, I guess. On Sunday, uh, I just led a, a global breath work uh, session. I do it every every month as part of my tribe and community. So I highly recommend it. And yes, I have done um, uh, psilocybin. I've done uh, ayahuasca, and I think there are useful tools just to kind of you know give yourself a little boost in um, dropping the ego and looking at the truth. And I think that they're wonderful tools. That's part of the journey. Uh, the thing is, is that there's not a, just a one type of thing. You got to actually take a, a, a body-based approach, as you, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, like with breath work, it's got to be somatic approach, but also you have to have a cognitive approach as well. So you got to merge the two. So what I do is a multidisciplinary approach. It's not just one approach to healing trauma. There's so many, so many approaches, so many mm -hmm. modalities but you got to regulate the nervous system, clear your past grievances, learn how to navigate that little voice in your head of the inner critic. You got to learn how to empathically communicate with yourself and your younger parts with you know, inner child work. And it's not as easy as you think. It's not just following a meditation. There's, you know, specifically you can rescue those younger parts in those traumatic scenes. There's a you know, a protocol that I kind of follow and I take people through on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And um, the last part is community. So healing can only happen through community. You, you, you can't heal in isolation. It's done through sharing and, and community. So that's a, a part of it as well. So as long as all of those elements are combined you're and you're committing to this practice of healing, you now can completely see a totally different version of you in three months which is what we've yeah. seen. 
That's fantastic. And I totally agree with, with um, everything in, in terms of the methodology that you outlined, specifically the community aspect of it. Yeah. For me, specifically, when I moved back to the D.C. area after um, having the trauma of going through cancer and having to go through chemotherapy and then have also having a divorce, I felt myself in a situation where I didn't feel like I was depressed, but emotionally I, I was because I started to become an isolationist. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until a few years ago where I started to understand that I needed community. Right. And I was feeling extremely lonely at the time that I moved back to the DC area. Right. And the loneliness was, was really uh, just immense in terms of how it played a role on my overall health. And in fact, I write this in my book, that loneliness is as big of a risk factor for mortality as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day or leading a sedentary lifestyle. And, right. and it it's is. interesting that the cure to loneliness is actually to be of service to others and to finding mm. a community. And so that's what I did. I, I found the community and I found my tribe. And uh, through that aspect of finding community, I was able to be of service to others. And it actually dragged me out, pulled me out of that lonely state. And it, it's true. It's, it's very healing when you are able to be of service to others. I 100% agree. And what you're talking about is called co-regulation. See, when we grow up, we don't understand how to regulate ourselves and make sense of the sensations that are going on. We don't know how. We have no idea what to do, well, how that works, right? Um, so we require attunement of our caregivers, people to see us, to hear us. We don't have a sense of self until somebody outside of us helps us with that sense of self. Well, either they help us or they sometimes hurt us in cultures like yours and mine, where public perception is critical. Uh, we are raised with a sense of self that is punished and rewarded for fitting into a mold. This is socialization and parenting. And we then lose our self, sense of self in service of, of, of approval so that we can make sure that we get our needs met and that we will feel safe and loved. So then we lose our sense of self in our 20s and 30s and uh, 40s and we hit middle ages if we haven't dealt with these unconscious complexes. And so what ends up happening is unless we have a community of people who are in the same conversation co-regulating with us, we don't know how to self-regulate. So we need to learn self-regulation and co-regulation. Mm. That's how it works. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical eBooks and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctortopatient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support.
I think a lot of people are interested in terms of unraveling trauma because everyone has trauma. Right. But a lot of people just don't want to dig deep and be and feel that vulnerable. So how do you approach that if a person is so hesitant and unwilling to, to, to go that deep and, and experience and relive that trauma that they had back in, when they were a kid or when they were younger? Can you ask that in a different way? Sure. I can ask that in a different way. I mean, yeah. how do you approach a person who's, who is f- feeling a little scared in terms of going into their own personal issues and yeah. unraveling trauma? How do I approach a person who's scared of doing that? I haven't never, uh, I've never met somebody who isn't scared about that. I would, I would uh, t- tell them that their fears are very warranted and it's completely normal to be afraid that one of the scariest things to our ego is being bad, right? It's the scariest, most terrifying thing. And so the biggest fear that we face in going there is the facing of the shames that we've been trying to run away from. So what's interesting about this is uh, I would first empathize with them. Hmm. The person who's scared, I would say, I know it is. And I would ask them, I would say, are you willing to be afraid in your hero's journey? It's kind of like, you know, Frodo Baggins (laughs) in the uh, Lord of the Rings. He had to carry that ring up to the top of the mountain. Was he scared on that journey? You bet. Because he's got ogres and he's got, you know, pitfalls and demons and shit to, to deal with on the path. And this is our path of healing. We are all like, I mean, I know you did when you went on your path and you were kind of facing those things that you weren't, you know, you'd rather avoid. Weren't you scared? Fear is totally normal. Fear is, this is really about moving with the fear, allowing the fear to walk, walking with the fear. And so I'd start by empathizing with them. And secondly, I start just giving information. And in my trainings that I do, I don't approach anyone anymore. I stop trying to, trying to approach somebody to help them heal um, is, is futile because I can't feed anyone who isn't hungry. So I provide my information. I do a lot of these trainings. I have a group called Trigger Proof. I teach people how to expand that space between stimulus and response so that they can create choice in their lives and not be run by their past complexes, which is pretty much the secret to human existence. That's where secure attachments and healthy relationships come in when I can take what what you said that triggers me and I can not be so reactive and in my body create a sense of safety within me so that I can actually have a a connection with you and, mm. and, and heal that. That's probably the greatest skill to learn. So what I would tell people is, look, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing bad or broken about you. You're not broken. You've adapted to trauma. This is an adaptive mechanism to protect yourself. That's what the fear is. So it's supposed to be there. The question I have for you is, how important is it for you to learn the skills to self-regulate through challenges, to expand the capacity of your nervous system, to take Mm -hmm. triggers and turn it into deeper self-love, to take conflicts between you and your family members, your partner, your children, whatever, and turn that into deeper intimacy rather than shut down and run away. 
And I would actually try to inspire them to say, these are skills you learn. It's not a... It's not that you're broken and you need to be fixed. It's that you just haven't learned a language of your nervous system to be able to self-regulate. And so I would start with empathy to that person. And I would, tell the, I would never tell them that they should. And I would just ask them, I'd say, well, where are you stuck? And well, where do you want to be in the next three to six months? And are you curious about learning the skills to be able to manage your own emotions rather than be so externally driven. And so when you put it in that way and you frame it there, it's like, well, shit, I'd love to learn that and go, great. That's what I love teaching. I teach a bunch of people how to become self-healers, that they're not broken, that they're working exactly as designed when they've been faced with the adversities without the tools to be able to manage their emotions and self-regulate. And so through co-regulation with a group of people who are up to the same conversation, you then rise to be able to self-regulate. And then mm. you then become a contribution to the co-regulation too. So hopefully, That's fantastic. hopefully that answered it. Yeah. And it actually gives me a little bit of context for the next question that I wanted to ask you when you were in reference to what you were saying about triggers. And yeah, it's very fascinating because a lot of people don't know what their triggers because they don't know they haven't really evaluated themselves enough to understand what triggers them and how they react to specific triggers. And it, these triggers could have been something that's been brewing over their entire lifetime, but they just haven't understood this yeah. process. Yeah. And I want to take myself as an example because it's, it's, I'd, I'd like to get your, your perspective on, on how you would approach a situation like this. So my, one of my main triggers is, is having a father figure who, it's not really a trigger, but you know, in my past, growing up as a child, my father was pretty stern in terms of how he raised me. Yep. And the, the way he raised me was, pretty, was very stern and harsh and it wasn't in a very loving... loving and it was loving, but not in the, in the loving... It wasn't where, gentle. He was a hard yeah, ass. He was a go. tyrant. Yeah, Just yeah, call it out, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, we could call it as, as a harshness. And so... <laughs> To this day, if I approach a person and meet someone with that harsh tonality of voice, yeah, right. oh my gosh, right. I, I, it triggers me. And it's yeah. only been in the past few years that I, since I've been doing this personal work that I've understood that trigger. So in your approach, so how would you approach a person like me having that trigger in terms of helping it to resolve and allowing that aspect to heal where I could love myself more? Great question. Well, the first thing that I would do, Diva, is just to let you know that the way that you're responding is totally normal. So this is very important is when you're trauma-informed and you understand is you want to help people give, give people context. Because what happens is you're judging and blaming and shaming yourself for being triggered. That's the first thing. And part of this work is to remove the stigma of that, that that's, there's nothing wrong with you. That when you were a child and your father raised his voice, that that was like a trauma, that was an overstimulation in your body. And so now when you're walking around the street and then somebody runs over and then somebody's like, if I was walking across the street and I was, and you were there and then I screamed at the top of my lungs, Diva! right? Mm -hmm. You literally would then go into a fight or flight. You would go into a freeze response and it's not a rational cognitive thing. Your body would go there. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yep. So what we would do basically is if you were actually committed to healing that, well, first you'd have to see what's been the impact of that. 
that must show up in your relationships. Uh, what happens in business? Have you had any business breakdowns? Does that stop you from stepping up and being able to, you know, like aggressively take on the next level in your career? Is it stopping you? You have to first see, like you'll live with it all your life and be okay, kind of like an ache or a pain. You'll live with it all your life until it actually stops you from doing something meaningful to you, mm -hmm. right? And then maybe two or three relationship breakdowns later where you're like, oh my gosh, like whenever they would get upset and their voice would be raised, I would go into shutdown. I would close off and, and be silent for like three weeks. Mm -hmm. And that completely breaks intimacy because now that person who's upset already because of how they felt, now they don't feel heard, mm -hmm. right? And so the second that you now see that it's in the way and it's something that needs to be resolved now, now you're going to be willing to go in and I would take you through a process where we would go to that, you know, eight-year-old version of you where dad was being the tyrant. And we, I would take you through a process of healing those attachment wounds and integrating the duality of the moment. The method I've come up with helps you see that you never had a positive without a negative. You didn't have a one-sided pole without its contrast. And if I just regress you back to that age and we integrate those two poles, you then see that you didn't have a one-sided experience. Hmm. Then you find gratitude in the way that your father has been. And once you see with an open heart, a pure, absolute love and gratitude for dad exactly the way he was, then you go through the next step, which is to reparent that eight-year-old version of you that was being yelled and screamed at with firm boundaries by dad who felt that he wasn't good enough or he was bad. And what you're doing is you're spending the next, I don't know, 60, 70 years of your life <laughs> convincing that eight-year-old boy that he, that the dad was just reacting out of love. Hmm. Dad loved you. He was wanting the best for you. And he was parenting the way he parented. And that now you're going to be the parent to you every time you get triggered in that showing up. So it's a day-to-day, moment-to-moment showing up for him when he gets triggered. And eventually someone will be able to raise their voice to you and then you won't have a reaction. Hmm. depending on your level of commitment. So there's a lot of self-directed work. This is what we tell people. It's very self-directed. This is, nobody's coming to rescue you. And there's co-regulation. So because that was so traumatic for you, I would do a session with you. I would take you back and regress you and use my methodology to help you integrate that fractured part of you. Because when it happened as a young kid, you then felt shamed and felt that you were bad. You didn't look at the behavior. You couldn't distinguish between, oh, that was bad behavior or that was, you know, incorrect behavior. You just made the conclusion that you're bad. So you spent the rest of your life accommodating for that I'm bad. And you probably became a successful doctor and, you know, successful and did all the right things as a kind of like a trauma response, partially, there's a part of you that did, I know, because that's same thing, same thing with me. So your job then will be to integrate those parts. Because when you go to go through trauma, you fracture, you fragment, you dissociate. It's like one river that then all of a sudden splits into two different rivers. Our job in healing is to find all of those different fractures, uh, you know, 
fractures and now learn how to integrate them and work with them because they're now a part of you. There, there will always be that little eight-year-old boy that doesn't, that can't handle uh, um, a voice being raised. The difference is you're now able to expand that space with the practice. To expand that space and not be so reactive and shut down, you can change a step in the dance. Mm. And part of that will be to heal your relationship with your father. Right. That's really fascinating. I appreciate you taking the time to use my example and, yeah. and, and, and thoroughly explain your process. And are these the, the basics of the overview method? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it is the foundation. It's taking a trigger. The overview method is basically a tool which I've come together with all of the stuff that I've learned in the last 20 years to take a trigger that's happening now when somebody raises their voice. And in that moment, creating a sacred pause so that you can use the trigger as a portal to rescuing the younger part of you that the trigger is bringing up. Mm. And what happens is when you do that, you're able to take the conflict that's happening in the trigger and then use that instead of to shut down and like bust apart, you can actually use the conflict and instead of avoiding conflict or constantly running into conflict, you use the conflict to actually connect deeper with the person you're conflicting. And so we've been able to heal relationships. Like, like when you heal relationships with people, all of a sudden these weird kind of chronic issues and pain start to go away. I mean, there's one of my clients with chronic neck pain, chronic. She was the youngest of nine children, sexual abuse. And we just went to work and taught her how to become trigger proof, how to take every trigger. And instead of becoming reactive and judging and self, self-abandoning, you you then turn it into deeper intimacy. And then I, on our last call, I'm like, by the way, how's your neck pain? She's like, it's gone. I said, why do you think it was there? It's like, well, when your little five-year-old girl inside of you is constantly feeling unsafe, like she has to protect herself, like you can imagine this little five-year-old girl cowering in the corner in fear, when you've now gone to rescue that part of you, she now feels safe, then you don't need to contract all these muscles anymore for safety. It's all in your unconscious. Mm-hmm. So once you've rescued that part of you, now you feel safe in your body. And so there's so many amazing things that happen when you do that. It's unpredictable. It's beautiful though. Yeah. And I want to go back to what you said a moment ago about when you are faced with a trigger, it's like instead of being reactive, you can take a pause and take some deep breaths. And during that time of pausing, you could almost calm your nervous system down. And, and instead of being reactive, you can be proactive. And I think right. Tara Brock talks about this in her book, uh-huh. uh, Radical, Radical Acceptance. So totally. yeah, that reminds me of that. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. That was Yeah, uh, this is the skill of it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I can sit here right now and tell you, Diva, I can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it, you get triggered, you should just take a pause. Yeah. But the problem is, is that when you are, you lose cognition. So mm-hmm. this is a practice. So I have... So I, I can't believe I was just thinking about this today. I said, I can't believe what I do in my work. I get to take a group of people and teach them in practical ways. Each week we bring up a trigger and then we go into the practice of using that trigger mm-hmm. to expose a younger part and then reparent that younger part and then yeah. come back. Have you done inner child work yet? I, I have done it and it is quite okay. fascinating. 
Beautiful, beautiful. So I, I teach it. I have the over, it's called the overview experience. It's a five hour workshop now on Zoom, which used to be a three day event. Now with COVID, I've condensed it into five hours of pure magic where whatever you're resentful for, you bring in a resentment that's real, that's alive in your body right now. And then I literally take you through the steps and people all over the world follow it. And it's like, whether you're in Pakistan or you're in Australia, New Zealand, everyone's following it. And they're like, oh my God, it's like my resentment has lifted because Mm -hmm. we go to the root cause of the root cause of it. It's never about what it's about. The trigger you're dealing with right now during Corona, whatever's going on in your relationship, it is not about that. It is about a younger part of you you have not yet um, connected with. And there's infinite parts of you that have been traumatized. So the journey is a lifelong one and, and it's wise for us to learn the skills because our relationships are at stake. And if we don't learn it, we then pass all of that shame down to children. Exactly. Well, Dr. Nemo, I really appreciate you coming onto the show and uh, being my guest. And for the listeners out there, if they want to find out more information about you and your workshops, uh, what's the best way to, to go about doing so? Yeah, my website, drnema.com. It's right there. And I have a Facebook group called Trigger Proof. Go ahead and join that. I do a lot of training there. And um, what I would recommend is I have a 90-minute training um, that I have that I can give you the link to. I have a promo code for your listeners. With that promo code, the training is free. And it basically takes you through the step-by-step. I put together drnema.com slash VW1, virtual workshop one. And... um, the promo code at the end, once you order the workshop, is if you put in trigger proof, all one word, low, lowercase, uh, then you get that for free for all of your listeners. That's awesome. We'll be sure to include those in our show notes. So really appreciate this promo that we're able to take advantage of. And, and I'd love to be one of those clients that can take advantage of it and maybe even enroll in one of your workshops. You bet, man. Thanks again for coming on the show. It was great to to have you on and great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me, man.